Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the radio show that talks about women's issues, violence against women, all sorts of things that impact women and men in our culture. I'm Heather Stark, your host, and I have uh, been involved in the domestic violence movement for about, I don't know, 13, 14 years, and I currently am working on a Ph.D., my dissertation on uh, my Ph.D. in psychology, and hope to focus on domestic violence issues when I complete that. And my guest today is Meryl Cousins. She is the executive director of King County Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and she's been doing that for quite some time and uh, has been involved in the domestic violence movement for uh, many, many years. And we're going to have a little chat today, and she is in King County, Washington, and uh, we're going to have a little chat today about the latest Avon Foundation study that came out. You've probably been seeing some news stories that have been referring to the Avon Foundation and what they found out in this study, and we're just going to hash it around this morning and uh, see what we can see what we can see about that study and talk about it and th- thank you for being here Meryl thanks for joining us thanks for having me good um this Avon Foundation study I've been seeing it quoted in all sorts of news stories this week mm-hmm. um and it seems like most of the news stories were focused on how many uh Americans uh know a victim or are have been a victim of uh, sexual assault or domestic violence and that mm-hmm. study showed that it was like 60%. Um, uh, did that surprise you when you saw that? Um, that 60% of people said yeah. that they know um, uh, that they've been a victim of, of uh, either sexual assault and domestic violence. Um, no, I think that's consistent with uh, a lot of um, previous research. Um, yeah, That's a high number. That's a high it number. Is. It is. Yeah. I mean, what it tells us is that these are very common um issues and problems in our communities and um should be a high priority for all of us i think yeah yeah i think that more and more we're starting to talk about domestic violence of course mm-hmm. one of the things that i wonder about is mm-hmm. i think as a culture we're really attuned to the fact that you know hitting somebody and breaking bones and making bruises that that is violence but mm-hmm. i th- think that we're less attuned to some of the psychological um, and financial and spiritual uh, um, violence that occurs to a lot of women. I don't have you right. do you see that or uh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, one of the things about the study that I, that is actually heartening to me is that um, you know, so many people were willing to identify that either they had experienced um you know, one or both of these issues in their lives, um, and, and or that they knew somebody because, um, you know, I think that that probably would have been very different 20, 30 years ago um, when I started doing this work. And so what that tells me is that awareness about these issues has um, increased significantly, and that's a really positive thing um, because awareness is the first step to doing something about it. Um, yeah, it used to be a big secret. If you mm-hmm. were exactly. a victim or if you knew a victim, you just didn't mm-hmm. talk about it. It was 
right. that whole, right. you know, what happens in the house stays in the house, and it's personal business, and you stay out of it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so g- getting back to your earlier question, I-, I mean, I think you're right, and you know, some of it is the terminology that that we use when we talk. If we, um, and th- you know, there's no one term that I think um, works consistently. But we, if we talk about sexual violence or, or domestic violence, we, we're tending to focus on the violence, which of course is a huge problem and um, is all too common. Um, and what we know about um, but we, what we know about those terms is that they encompass a, a range of, of kinds of behaviors. And um, what when we think about domestic violence, we usually are thinking about what um, many people are, are starting to talk about more specifically as intimate partner violence or even inter, intimate partner abuse, I think, which is, um, I, I think, a broader term that, that allows us to think more about not just the physical violence, but the other kinds of coercion, um, control, and um, abuse that um, that uh, people engage in to to try to control partners. Um, that, and so, that abuse is harder for people to understand. I think. It is, it is, and um, it, it's harder to understand. It's harder for people who are experiencing it to to recognize it and understand um but it's important to recognize that um they go hand in hand yeah. um and, and that the, you know yeah go ahead yeah mm-hmm. the um uh couple of studies that i've read indicate mm-hmm. that women who have experienced both physical violence and uh some of the other types of of abuse would hands mm-hmm. down pick violent you know physical violence mm-hmm. over the other types if they had to pick between the two. Um, so I think that, you know, we can't right. underestimate the amount of damage that, you know, uh, abuse in general can cause right. for a, right. for the rest of their life, you know. Right, so I right. know I'm, I'm doing my uh, dissertation on, uh, it's a comparative study on whether experiencing domestic violence affects your work performance and satisfaction down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like 10 years later, and right. of course, I hypothesize that yeah, it would. But we're gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna find out hopefully, and and uh, we can do some stuff with that. But you know, the the you can't really minimize, and yet pe- the impact of that kind of um, abuse. But yet, I think women and um, even victims don't really acknowledge how significant that abuse is. Have you found that? Um, well, I mean, for many people, it can become just such a I mean, it's it's much harder to identify. I think I think there are many survivors who can very clearly identify the different kinds of um, um, abuse and control and coercion that their partners engage in. Um, but it, you know, particularly when you're in the middle of it, it can be harder to identify. It can be harder for other people to see because what um, I, and I think that's really the big thing is that it can be harder to see from the outside because it's all happening in the context of an intimate relationship. So, um, you know, actions, words, gestures can have a meaning that may not be apparent to people from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, what tends to happen to survivors is that their abusers will isolate them from friends and family, They'll often control various aspects of their lives so that the uh, survivor's um, world becomes narrower and narrower and narrower. And um, 
that and uh, that and then that makes the um, you know her options a lot more limited. Yeah. And let me just throw in here that mm-hmm. if you would like to join us in our conversation, I would love for you to do that. Our phone in number is six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. That's six four six three seven eight zero four three zero and uh join us in our conversation. If you would um uh like to uh, uh say, you know, make a comment or um, check out uh, what other questions you have, please do give us a call on that number, 646-378-0430. Getting back to the study, Meryl, um, one of Mm -hmm. the things that really surprised me uh, in this study is that um, (laughs) 75% said that they, of Americans, said that they would step in and help a stranger being abused. Mm -hmm. But... The fact is, most people don't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. 64, uh, or uh, what did the study say here, uh, of the women who experienced domestic violence and then told somebody about it, 58% said that nobody helped them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our perception... Right, and on the one hand, uh, you know, I, I think the study said that like uh, significant numbers of people said that they would um, help someone, but then um, most... What are the numbers? Sixty-seven percent haven't talked about domestic violence with their friends, and seventy-three percent haven't talked about sexual assault, and seventy-five um, percent of parents said that they hadn't or uh, had conversations about domestic violence or sexual assault with their kids. So again, I think you know all of us want to believe that we would step in and help someone who was, you know, being hurt in front of us, um, and I think the reality is that actually doing that is really difficult. And I have to say, if you're talking about seeing someone being assaulted on the street, you do have to be concerned about your own safety. <laughs> and, sure. you know, so, and, uh, you know, so, or, or about, you know, potentially escalating uh, confrontation even more. So I'm not saying people shouldn't intervene, but that, it, you know, it should be done with caution. Um, but I really think the bigger question is, you know, the the number of times any one person is going to be walking down the street and see a physical assault in progress is probably very, um, you know, the chances of that are not super high. Um, The chances of maybe hearing something happening in your neighborhood or in the apartment next door or something might be a little bit higher. But certainly, you know, probably all of us have... um, you know, maybe seen something or heard a friend or family member talk about a relationship that made us say, like, "Uh uh-oh, let alone the fact that, like, what really needs to happen is we need to be talking talking to each other about relationships, about, you know, what is, you know, a positive, healthy relationship, what, you know, what isn't, what's going on in our lives before things are at the point that we're talking about someone needing to intervene in a physical assault that's happening out on the street or something. And it's not surprising to me that people don't do that because it's really hard to have these conversations. Um, you know, Somebody, I was at know. a um, mm-hmm. uh, BPW um, convention uh, the other day, and I was speaking about domestic violence, and somebody asked me, at what age should you start mm-hmm. talking to your child about domestic violence and, and domestic abuse? And... Mm-hmm. 
I was kind of, I'd never been asked that question before. At what age? Well, you know, let me mm-hmm. see. Yeah, how about six months and eleven days? I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and my response right. was, well, you talk about it as you live your life. You know, things right. come up, right. things are on the news. That's when you start talking in an age-appropriate right. way. You know, right. um, about about and, you it. know, and I guess what I would say is, like, we need, we need to be talking about these things on a continuum. So it's not just like, okay, this is domestic violence it's about mm-hmm. you know we you know talking to to s- small children about you know relationships about themselves and their own autonomy and self-determination i mean a lot of sexual assault prevention has focused on really young kids talking to them about good touch and bad touch and mm-hmm. you know how to say no how to set your own limits and boundaries and when um you know when and how you do that um so for for little kids you know starting to talk to them about dating and intimate partners uh, you know that for a 3 year old that's not necessarily going to be um appropriate so you talk to them about friends and you know how do your friends you know yeah what's being uh, a good friend you know is is how that friend is talking to you or treating you a good thing um i mean there may be times when a kid will observe you know, adults in a relationship fighting or things. So then you also talk about conflict and, you know, healthy, you know, or that conflict is not necessarily bad, but that, you know, there's good ways to handle conflict and not so good ways to handle conflict. So we start having those conversations that are age appropriate as, you know, kids are growing. And, um, and it has to be so much more than just the hands are not for hitting conversation. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah. um, and then as they start to get older, um, I mean, I think part of what we found is a lot of the early domestic violence prevention programs were geared towards kids in high school, and um, people were starting to see that, like, that was already. I don't want to say that it's too late. I don't think it's ever too late to have these conversations, but that. Um, if they thought that they were getting kids at the beginning of their dating, or and you know that's not even necessarily an appropriate term anymore, but at, you know the beginning of when they were starting to get into um, relationships, that that was not they were those many of them were already <laughs> had already been doing that for a long time, and so more and more things are being uh, geared towards. Um, middle school kids, but it's still talking about things like respect, what are healthy relationships, how do you set boundaries. Um, and, and empathy. I think that we have empathy, to teach yeah. kids empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, how mm-hmm. do you think that makes that person feel? You know, how would right. you feel if somebody talked to you that way? Um, right. I, I'm, I'm a real advocate of teaching empathy, and I mm-hmm. don't think that we do that very much with our kids. Um, right. But, right. you know, you have to sensitive to how this makes somebody else feel or why do you think you wanted to make that other person feel this way you know i I just really feel that you know empathy is something that we have to teach and we have to show by example and um, i don't see a huge emphasis Mm -hmm. on that in our culture so do you think empathy has something to do with the the education of children when it comes to domestic abuse and sexual assault i mean sure i I mean we don't we don't get hold a lot explicitly about how to relate to each other in, in you know in any way whether it's friendships whether it's um you know work relationships even whether it's you know parenting or whether it's it's um 
all kinds of intimate relationships, um, not not just kind of like long-term committed um, couple relationships. And so I think we we really need to be talking about that um, to our friends, to our family members, to our kids. Uh, um, you know, how often do we have conversations as adults with friends about, so, you know, how, how's your relationship or you know, how's your family life or, you know, are there, th- are you, are there things, you know, what's happening that's good, what's happening that's not so great that you might want to change or, you know, can I talk to you about something that's bothering me and it doesn't have to be about abuse, it's just, you know, normalizing talking about these things. So the first time you're having that conversation with someone, it isn't like, you know, I'm afraid for my life. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think though, that the, I, oftentimes it does. I mean, there's there's silence about it until it does become a, a crisis, right. and then right. somebody re- is reaching out desperately for some sort of help and understanding without necessarily wanting to go into details, without necessarily saying why, because right. you know we as women, I, we have the res- we, society has given us the responsibility, if you will, mm-hmm. for for relationships. You know, a good mm-hmm. relationship. You know, happy mother, happy or happy wife, happy life, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's our burden supposedly to make sure that things go go smoothly and that the relationships are good. And if the relationships right. aren't good, I think not only society but we ourselves oh. tend to place more mm-hmm. blame on ourselves for that. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's hard to go to people and ask for help or advice when you feel like it's something that you did. Right. You know, the other side of this, and we, you know, I mean, again, I think we have to just start talking about these things in general, and we tend to, we tend to in our head divide people, and I think some of the mistakes we made early on in, in, like, doing some of the domestic violence education was, you know, treating um, women and girls as potential victims and men and boys as potential abusers, and, you know, kind of gearing our messages towards that. And um, you know, I, there there are def- definitely gender and gender role issues connected to um, certainly relationships and intimate relationships, and some of these cut across gender identities and um, sexual orientations. And then there's different nuances um, in, in in different communities. But you know, there there is an aspect of gender. And but I also think we have to just really be talking. Um, honestly and compassionately with each other about, um, you know, our behavior in relationship to other people and what we're observing of other people's um, relationships and, and, you know, how they're being treated and how they're treating other people in a way that's compassionate and kind of, you know, like what are what are you trying to get out of this relationship and is, you know, what you're doing <laughs> a positive thing in a way that's not like you are an abuser or you are a victim. I mean, I think those labels often distance people and people don't see themselves in that. But, you know, what about if you saw someone treating their boyfriend or girlfriend in a way that you felt was disrespectful? Could you talk to them about that? without saying, you know, you're abusive, you're you're this, you're that, but like, hey, you know, how you just talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend partner made me really uncomfortable. It, you know, what what was going what's going on for you that um you you wanted you, you felt like you needed to talk to her like that or him like that. 
Um, and then, you know, and then similarly, when we see something going on, um, just sort of say, hey, you know, how, you know, how, you know, so-and-so just talked to you, made me really uncomfortable, you know, how, how are things going between you? Um, and, 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 you know, maybe the, the person may not be willing to engage, but at least you've opened the door. And I sometimes, you know, think that people get caught up in, like, having to name it abuse or not. <laughs> like, we, I, I remember years on the hotline when people would call up and what they describe what's going on in their relationship and want me to tell them, is this abuse, is this domestic violence or not? And um, it's like... There's, a, I mean, sometimes it's important to identify that, but then sometimes it's like, well, does it matter? <laughs> I mean, what what you're telling, what are you wanting? What are you telling me that you're getting? And and do those things match? Um, so, th- does that make sense? Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it it doesn't. You know, I think what, if I'm hearing you right, it, you're saying it really doesn't matter what we label it if it's. Mm-hmm. giving you uh making you uncomfortable mm-hmm. and making you unhappy and right. and you know then then that right. in itself is significant enough to work on that issue. Right. I mean there may be, may be times when labeling it is important. Um and I also think that there are times that the labeling can um be a barrier rather than a help because yeah. um it many people You know, like I've talked to um, people who, you know, I've talked to people who who will say, you know, I'm not a victim of domestic violence, but, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I've heard, Mm -hmm. you know, the term battered woman woman is is one that, you know, we've used and that many people still use and some people who have been abused, some women who have been abused do. Um, identify with it, but um, it's also, you know, I've had people say, I, you know, say I'm not a battered woman, and and then explain to me, you know, what probably any textbook would label as a term, but for whatever reason, they have this image of what that term means or this definition of what that term means, and it's not them, and so it actually distances them. So, do I have to have? Is there a reason I have to get this person to see that that he or she is a victim of domestic violence or being abused? Um, do I have to use that term? That term may be, cause someone to dismiss what I have to say as opposed to if I say, hey, you know, what you described to me is really, really scary. I'm worried about you. Um, yeah. That's a lot more open than saying, you know, what you just t- talked to me about is abuse. That's abuse, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, that yeah. just yeah. sounds a, a lot more kind of judgmental. Yeah, um, it does. And it sounds mm-hmm. you know, I I maybe I'm I'm prejudiced here, but I think that we do so much victim blaming mm-hmm. that right. you know, if I admit that I'm in a relationship and if I admit that it's an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. then I've basically just put myself in a category of this is my fault. This is something mm-hmm. that I did, I chose, I you know, I need mm-hmm. to be ashamed of. Um mm-hmm. and if there's no name attached to it, then you don't get that um Right, you know that that conditioned response, I guess you could call it, to right. that name. So, right, and yeah. I, you know, I, I do need to say that for some victims or survivors, um, naming it is a powerful thing, mm-hmm. um, and and something that's validating to them. 
So I don't want to say that there's never a, a value or a reason to do that. But, you know, I I also think that it's just much better to describe, you know, if, if you're trying, particularly if you're trying to open the door to somebody to to describe behaviors, to describe what you're seeing as opposed to a, a particular label. Um, and then also, you know, once someone is talking to you to to use the language that they seem comfortable with um as opposed to being invested in getting them to see <laughs> that they yeah. are or aren't a victim of domestic violence or abuse or or whatever and no. th- you know but then part of it is i think sometimes people feel like unless i unless <laughs> i can name it or somebody else tells me that it's abuse i can't do anything about it and it's like you know when someone will say is this going on this is going on that's going on this is going on um is that abuse it's like well (laughs) you know maybe maybe it is maybe it's not but the bottom line is you know it is it what you want and are there things you want to try to have be different as opposed to being and what's it doing to you exactly yeah what's it doing to you no. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other things that I saw in this Avon report that kind of mm-hmm. surprised me mm-hmm. is that, and I'll just read it, despite the fact that more than half of all Americans age 15 and older know a mm-hmm. victim of domestic violence, only 15% believe it is a problem among their friends. Mm-hmm. That seems kind of contradictory, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it's out there, but not here. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Only fifteen percent. Yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm stunned by that. I really am. Yeah, and again, I, you know, I, I um, have read a couple of the reports about the study, but I haven't actually retrieved the, the actual study and looked in depth about, you know, at what questions they asked and how and, and all of that. Um, and, but, and it, I think it may be in, in different i mean i think it might be interesting to look in different age groups because i think there have been some studies done with youth where certainly a higher number say that you know that they've had friends or family members who have dealt with the issue so um but it's um yeah i mean i don't know what that means if you say that you've known someone maybe people think again more about the more extreme circumstances where it was like oh yeah i heard that so-and-so's cousin had to call the police or leave and go you know so sort of sitting there um more extreme version of or a more specific idea of what they think uh, that term means but then when you say your friends and family member you're not thinking about the fact that you know how you even though you you saw your best friend being treated disrespectfully by by his or her partner, that you're not thinking that it's a big problem. Um, I do think the fact that many people said that they know somebody again that that's a significant change, and um, I I think that the the lower statistic again is just like how little we talk to each other about <laughs> about yeah. our relationships, you know. 
Um, and that that talking to each other that was a mm-hmm. a big part of of the mm-hmm. study, or at least what I, the, the synopses of the studies that I read. Um, right. It just you know wow the the <clears throat> I'm look excuse me I'm looking back at these uh, numbers here mm-hmm. as. Uh, 54 million Americans report they've been a victim of domestic violence. 32 mm-hmm. million Americans report being a victim of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I should have bookmarked this uh, discussion here. Oh, but mm-hmm. um, basically there's no discussion uh, taking place. Two out of three mm-hmm. Americans have not talked about domestic violence with their friends. Mm-hmm. 75% of men have not talked about it with their friends. Sixty percent of women haven't talked with uh, about it with their friends, and more than half, fifty-seven percent of Americans say they've never had a conversation about domestic violence or sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, wow. I mean, what are we talking right. about? Right. Um, well, you know, I guess I do like to see the positive, and like, you know, 57% said they didn't, then that means that 43% said they did, and I think that that's probably significantly more than, you know, 20, even 10 years ago, right? So, um, and, and again, so, you know, and we're talking about running the gamut from, you know, talking, uh, I mean, again, for me, if how are we going to talk about when things go wrong in relationships if we don't even talk about you know how how things go right in relationships and you know how 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 can we be in relationships and you know what is responsible healthy taking responsibility for yourself and being accountable for yourself and also being um you know setting your boundaries you know being clear about what you need and being clear about when you're not getting that from a relationship whether it's a friendship or an intimate relationship you know at at the other extreme when somebody is being abused what we do know is that um people are much more likely to talk to a friend or a family member um even a coworker or some kind of community or religious, you know, or faith leader, um, you know, what we what we often call uh, people's informal support networks um, before they're going to be willing to, um, to to call a domestic violence program or the police or you know anything like that and you know i mean it's like most things right how many uh, most of us are going to try to solve whatever problems we're having you know in our lives ourselves than with our you know our support networks and before we would start thinking about calling for some kind of formal um help or intervention it's not always the case. Sometimes there is huge shame and embarrassment, and people don't want to disclose to their friends and family members. Um, but you know, very often we'd we'd rather talk to a friend about the problem than, you know, certainly a police officer. Um, sure. And in you know, even in a community where that might you know see the police as a um, safe and friendly. Uh, entity in their lives as opposed to many communities who do not view police or government or even social service agencies in in that light. So, um, 
so, you know, what is a little disheartening is is people say that often those friends and family members are not helpful, and I think that's because people don't know what to do. Um, so, and, and I have to say that I hear stories every day of friends, family members, um, you know, employers, coworkers, um, being extremely helpful. I once heard, you know, got a call from someone who was trying to help someone in their apartment complex, and the entire apartment complex was like rallying around this this woman. So, you know, I, I hear those stories every day, and those those are the things I think we really need to highlight about, like what do and can people do um, in their lives to, you know, either raise awareness about domestic violence, help someone who's experiencing it, um, be seen as a resource for someone to come to if they're having a problem. And in fact, we do uh, an event um, at uh, every October. Ours is com- it's coming up October 24th this year. It's called our Take Action Awards, and it's um, awards that we give to people in the community who don't work in domestic violence um, or sexual assault or you know law enforcement or um, you know the criminal or civil legal system, but who do something to re- respond to or prevent domestic violence. Because we want those stories, we want those examples of what people can do. Um, but the bottom line is, pe- you know, people don't know what to do, and so and I think that that's often the biggest barrier to to talking about it is, what do I do if this person says yes? I don't know what to do, and so we don't want to talk about it. Um, One of the things that I was reading in this Avon study is that kind of concerned me um, mm-hmm. is just what we were talking about. Uh, the whole focus apparently is they're going to start a um, a focus or a start a, a um, an effort um, mm-hmm. to uh, educate bystanders of what to right. do, what they can do. And mm-hmm. in some respects, I'm thinking, yay. And in other respects, I'm thinking, well, you know, I mean, is that so good? I mean, we mm-hmm. already talked about safety issue uh what about the emotional right. issue you know i mm-hmm. i don't know you know mm-hmm. I, I can see potential there for right. wow and potential for ooh right um right well, and you yeah. know and i want to you know i think it's great that the avon foundation is doing this and there you know there have been efforts um a number of efforts and are um, things happening across communities related to that kind of idea. There are a number of programs here in King County um, that have uh, that. In fact, I'd say most of the domestic violence and sexual assault programs um, do some kind of what we call community engagement, which is trying to you know, not to work with communities to um, be resources, supports, whether it's, you know, just doctor, you know, whether it's other professions, doctors, um, you know, religious leaders, you know, different kinds of people who folks might come to, to um, for help, just making sure that they know what the resources are, that they have a few things that they know they can say that can be supportive. Um to really uh, working intensively, the Northwest Network of Bisexual, Trans, Lesbian, and Gay Survivors of Abuse has just um, published a guide for, um, it's actually geared for domestic violence advocates to help them help survivors engage their friends and family members to to be supportive of them and be involved in um, safety planning. Um, 
so and i th- i think it's what we have to do um because we will never be able to um build enough sh- shelters fund enough advocates you know uh have enough counselors available to um you know to 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 respond to everyone who who needs help let alone to really start to get ahead of this problem um and so we need we need people to be able to be supportive to the people in their lives um in a way that's safe in a way that's uh, that they can handle emotionally i mean again i think we tend to think in these very all or nothing terms that either i can't help any someone at all or i have to give them everything <laughs> and um i think it's important um both for the person uh seeking help and the person giving help to be very specific about what they can and can't do and what they need and and um and want and um you know um and to to be there in whatever way they can well and, um, and there's that, a very that, fine line between um helping and mm-hmm. um just getting in the way, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that, right. you know? Right. I, I mean, I think one of the most important things is that the um, the person who's experiencing the abuse ha- has to de- determine what actions to take. And um, I think that, you know, I, I almost, I really try to stay away from absolutes, but I think the the main thing to avoid is um telling somebody what they have to do what they can and can't do and and or doing anything that you think is on that person's behalf like telling something like if if a friend or a family member confides in you that this is going on they don't want to call the police they don't want to tell their mother you know whatever it is um except for some very narrow exceptions i think that you really have to respect that um a because you know they're the person who's in the best position to um identify what the potential consequences of taking any of those steps are and there will inevitably be consequences of any step that a survivor takes to try to be safer and um more autonomous um and uh you could further endanger them or make their situation worse um and also if they've confided in you they've asked you not to do something and you do it then you've just shut that door and um i think it's you know again in most cases more important to keep the door open and i think a lot of us think we we know what someone needs to do needs to do um or what the right thing to do is but the reality is that um there is Almost. I mean, again, I try not to talk in absolutes, but I, there's almost never <laughs> something that's going to work for everybody all the time. And what yeah. might seem to be something that would be safer um, could actually make someone's situation worse, including worse, including whether they call the police, whether they leave their partners. Many survivors actually are in more danger when they leave their kids may be in more danger if they leave if they're with their partner they can at least monitor what's happening they can prevent their partner from being alone with the kids if they leave yep. 
um, there is a very good chance that the you know the abuser is going to have access to the kids um, and have unsupervised access to the kids. And so, um, to think to say that uh, you know a, a survivor is not protecting their kids because they won't leave, um, I think is is. Um, you know, often actually the opposite is true. Now, that doesn't mean we should be saying that somebody should just stay <laughs> either because of the kids, but it, but that it's not just easy to say leave, and if you're not leaving, you're, you know, you're failing to protect your kids. So. Well, but there have been in the past situations mm-hmm. where women have been held accountable uh, for not, legally yeah. for mm-hmm. not, for failure to protect oh, their children. It's not in the past. It's happening today. It's still still happening now. Yes. Wow. Yes, unfortunately, wow. so it's talk still about this a catch twenty. Hard place. Right. It's it's like this catch twenty two. What we what we see all too often is that the um, you know, if survivors um, try to protect their kids, that is very often um, viewed, particularly in like the family court arena, as negative, as them trying to. Um, uh, interfere with the uh, their parents' relationship with the kids. They're being, um, yeah. uh, they're often ca- you know called alienating. That they're alienating the kids from the other parent. The family law system is very focused on um, providing maximum opportunity for both parents to um, parent, and um, it it can despite the fact that there are exceptions when there's abuse going on, often what the survivor is is trying to do to protect the children is seen negatively in that light. Um, And then at the same time, if they're not taking steps to to protect their kids in the child protection system, for example, then that's viewed as failure to protect, and there are um, survivors who have lost custody of their children because of that. so uh it's uh, that's you know so I'm not trying to like scare anybody and and again yeah. to somebody who's trying to get out of a relationship with someone they're co-parenting with um not trying to say that you shouldn't but just to to understand that it's complicated and that it it's difficult and that it real care needs to be taken um in doing that yeah. And, and, and that we have to we have to be very careful not to not to um make assumptions about you know the decisions people are making about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what was in the back of my mind too when I was mm-hmm. reading about this um you know no more campaign that's what the mm-hmm. Avon uh, mm-hmm. people are calling right. their campaign to educate bystanders and mm-hmm. uh you know I thought boy but there are so many assumptions you know I mean mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm sure you, just as I would love to have a nickel for every time somebody says, well, why doesn't she just leave, you know? Right, um, right. Thinking that it's, you know, they they just don't really understand at all the complexities um, surrounding that question and the safety issues surrounding that question. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's it's hard for somebody who's never experienced something like this to understand how it could be safer for a woman and her kids to stay in a relationship like that than to leave a relationship mm-hmm. like that. Right. Uh, re- and that's really complex. Right. And then and we also have to broaden our concept of what we think of as safety, right? If, uh, you know, here in Seattle, the reality is that even for many, um, you know, people who would consider themselves 
middle class or middle income being able to afford just housing on your you know if you're living with somebody whether it's a roommate or a partner and then especially if you have kids and then um you know you're usually dependent on two incomes to to pay yeah. your bills and and pay your rent and so if your housing depends on your partner is it safe for you to leave even if maybe you would be safer from their abuse but you might face being on the street you might face not being able to feed your kids um are your kids going to be safer with you sleeping in, you know, sleeping in the car than they are in the house where maybe, you know, the abusive person is not directly abusing them? Um, there's not an easy answer. If someone doesn't have their basic needs met, they're not safe, even if they're well, not and being the, hit. Well, so. <laughs> the point you made about, uh, you know, a woman being able to protect her children um, you know, it, it's very understandable to me that you could protect your children easier if you're still in that relationship right. uh, than right. if you're not, you know, because right. you can take the responsibility for the kids. You can stand in front of the kids. You can send the kids to their mm-hmm. rooms. You can uh, take, put the kids in the car and take them away. But mm-hmm. if you separate, there is that, you know, um, the father is uh, presumed to have as much right to the children as the mother Mm-hmm. and you are then turning your kids over to the abuser mm-hmm. with no supervision from you and with right. no ability to protect them. And that's right. huge. That's right. huge. Right, right, right. Um, so, again, getting back to the No More campaign, again, I haven't looked at all the um, – I, I just haven't had a chance to really look through uh, what it is that they're promoting, and I think that they're working in partnership with different organizations to develop different kinds of – you know, kind of programs. But I yeah. think that, I mean, I think one of the things that's hard is, I, you know, there are um, real benefits to coming up with a message and, you know, having it sort of be a unified vi- message. You know, and about a decade ago we had the There's No Excuse for Domestic Violence campaign. Um, you know, we've got no more now. And, and, again, I think that those can be really powerful. Um What's difficult is that you're trying to distill a very complex issue into a soundbite, and so we always have to be careful about that. Just telling somebody no more, obviously, is not the solution. And I think that, um, I mean, I do think that we need to start encouraging people to have have these conversations. Again, it's much easier to be having the conversation when it's the norm just to talk about relationships and what's going well with relationships and what's not um, with our friends, with our kids, with our, you know, um, people who that's appropriate with, right? Not everybody talks about their relationships with coworkers. But um, uh, but I also think that it's, you know, our biggest um, tools are listening <laughs> and mm-hmm. asking questions as opposed to feeling like we have the answers, um, you know, so just really, um, and then even, you know, when we are saying things, it's, it, you know, kind of giving supportive, non-judgmental feedback, you know, yeah. what you Which described just happened to me, that. and I'm, I'm, con- oh, it's really, really hard, you know, um, <laughs> it, it's really hard to not jump into giving advice, um, especially with our kids, right? Um, but oh, yeah. not only with our kids, but just to sort of to sort of say, and, and especially if what someone's telling us is concerning, and you're concerned for their, you know, immediate safety, let alone 
their well-being, but to just, you know, instead of saying, you know, you've, that's really dangerous, you've got to leave, it's it's really different to say, um, you know, wow, what you just told me is really scary. I have to tell you, I'm really concerned about your safety right now. And, you know, what have you thought about doing? What have you tried doing in the past? What's happened when you've done that? You know, do you have a place that you could go? Um, you know, what what do you th- what do you think will happen? What are you afraid will happen? And to really listen to those answers and understand that that person knows their situation better than we do. Um, and um, you know, that's 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 how you help someone, not by telling them what they need to do. And then but don't you think that we are all so inundated with all those stereotypes that, you know, have mm-hmm. been around for the last 30 years about a victim? Mm-hmm. You know, weak, mm-hmm. uh, low-income, um, uh, uneducated. I mean, all of those uh, right. stereotypes have been around for <laughs> but, 100 yeah. years. Uh-huh. And right. so as a bystander who doesn't have any uh, particular experience in being in mm-hmm. that situation, those stereotypes have to be in the back of their heads. And so, right. you know any advice that they give would be very difficult to divorce yourself from those stereotypes when you're talking with somebody who's experiencing that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I always do is I carry the hotline number, and I'm right. going to give that out right now, 1-800-799-7233, 1-800-799-7233. And if somebody comes to me and talks and, you know, they're wondering if, they are mm-hmm. in a violent, you know, an, an abusive mm-hmm. situation, or they're wondering what they should do, or you know, I always say, you know, I could tell you what I would do, but that's not necessarily mm-hmm. what you should do. You need to talk right. to people who know what they're talking about, and I give mm-hmm. them that number because that number right. will, uh, you know, hook people up with uh, uh, local uh, assistance, people who work with this stuff every day. Those are the people mm-hmm. who know what they're talking about usually. And uh, those are the people that I, I tend to refer um, folks to that ask me about, right. you know, what should I do in personal advice. Um, what do you do yeah. with folks who ask you on a personal basis? Right. Um, well, I guess um, what I would say in answer to that question, and then I do want to mention some other resources because I see we're getting short on time, um, is, uh, and just to sort of follow up what I was talking about before, is that, yes, I think it's important, you know, if nothing else, to say, like, wow, I don't know how to help you with this, but I know there are people who do. Here's who you can call, or let me get back to you. Let me find out some more. I mean, I think one of the biggest barriers to talking about it is being afraid that we don't have the answers. And it's all right to not have the answers and to just say, you know, uh, wow, I'm concerned, let me get back to you about that. Or, um, uh, you know, at least know one place that somebody can call. Um, So I think it's important to know our own limits, but then I also think it's important not to um, think that we can't do anything. Again, it's not all or nothing, right? So we can figure out what what we can do and what we can't do and and, um, where we set set those limits. I have people, and it's one of the, um, you know, when you do this work, you know, where you mentioned when you work, where you work very often people will start talking to you about their personal situations and and ask you where they can go. And so I certainly give a hotline. I mean, one thing I like to tell people is that, um, you know, hotlines are often the first step to, to getting any kind of help. 
Um, I think a lot of times to call a domestic violence hotline, the, the number you gave is the national one, so if you, that's the one to know. And if you, um, and then they can connect you to more local resources. But you can call a hotline. People think that oh, it's a hotline. I have to be ready to like flee and go to a shelter and never look back. And you can call just to talk. You can call just to get some other resources. You also don't have to be a victim or survivor to call. You can be a friend or family member who's concerned and want to talk to somebody about how you can help somebody or, you know, where you can refer someone or, um, you know, how to help someone. Like I said, And you can call if you're just trying to figure it out. Right, exactly. Those early stages of, you know, what what are my options? And I don't want to leave, but what else could I do? And, you know, just all sorts of uh, ways that it can be approached, I think. Right. But you mentioned some other There's also a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of information available on the web. And I want to say that, um, you know, I, I rely a lot on work done by my colleagues and, um, there are some really great resources out there now about, you know, talking about some of this stuff. I want to mention the um, the Northwest Network of Bisexual, Trans, Lesbian, and Gay Survivors of Abuse. I mentioned before they have this, um, you know, they have resources for friends and family members. Um, their website is uh, www.nwnetwork.org. Um, our Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence has some uh, really great materials, and they have a project that's focused towards kids. Um, and uh, well, actually, you know, talking to young children, um, teenagers, and even adults, um, uh, they put together what they call these relationship cards, which which are um, really great. Just you know, talking about um, how to talk about relationships with, you know, people you care about and for all ages and just kind of getting the conversation started. Um, so they, their uh, uh, website is wscadv.org for Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence.org. Um, and every state of, has a coalition has a against domestic coalition. violence. Right. Yeah, right. and there's a national coalition. And that's where coalition. you can find resources, and there's a national yeah. coalition against domestic violence. There are a couple of things geared towards young people um, focused on relationships. One is um, loveisrespect.org, and they have a lot of, and just all one word, loveisrespect.org. Um, and there's another one that's called uh, thatsnotcool.com. And they've got some different kinds of uh, web tools and, and information about, um, you know, positive relationships and different kinds of problems in relationships. That's not cool. has a lot of things about kind of um, digital um, communications and things that happen um, in, in, you know, social media and texting and that kind of stuff. And then Futures Without Violence, and again, there is a national organization based in San Francisco. They um, Their website is, is just futureswithoutviolence.org, um, all one word, and they've got some excellent resources. They've got a curriculum that's focused on, uh, it's called Coaching Boys into Men, focused on getting um, men to be role models for young men and boys uh, um, around, you know, relationships and um uh, so there, there's a lot out there that people, um, where people can get uh, help with how to start having the conversation, whether you just, you know, whether you've got teenagers or you've got kids and you're, you know, you want to start talking to them about this. Um, there's, there's a lot we can do, and just 
taking the first step and talking about the topic, saying, hey, I read this, I heard this thing on the radio about this Avon study that said people don't talk about this stuff. Do you talk to your friends about it? Um, that can be the start of a conversation. So, Yeah, and I think that's what it's all about, the conversation. You don't have mm-hmm. to have all the answers. You don't have to right. uh, solve a problem. Um, that, you, right. know, uh, you, you just don't have to do that. But what you right. do have to do is be willing to be open to it. Um, and mm-hmm. be willing to put those judgments and those stereotypes away um, so that the person feels that they do have a resource. I, right. you know, I haven't read a study about this, Meryl, but it's my own personal feeling that, you know, any any person who's being abused, if they have the resources, will get out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the resources meaning, you know, to keep safe and to, you know, keep... Um, uh, living and keep taking care of their children, and you know, it, it's just I think that a lot of times, as you mentioned, it's a you know economic mm-hmm. necessity to stay, it's a uh, safety necessity to stay, and um, I think that if we all help be part of that, those resources for people, I mm-hmm. think that you know we can we can really right. uh, do something to help this situation. Right. Um, Including helping people be safer in their relationships. If they do, for whatever reason, choose to or just can't leave the relationship, can we help them to be safer? Can we help them to be more supported? Um, And, again, I think we tend to think of it in these very, like, all or nothing. You're either in a relationship or you're being abused or um, you're out of it. But there's so much in between. I mean, probably every single one of us, even those of us who think that we're in healthy relationships, we could identify something in our relationship that we don't like, right? Um, right. So it's really helping someone um, be safer and hopefully get more of their, you know, their needs met or at least face fewer negative consequences of being in that relationship. Exactly. Um, Exactly, and and that all starts with the conversation. So we all feel like we're we're uh, knowledgeable as much as we can be, and uh, if not in the topic itself, in the resources that are available for that topic, and mm-hmm. being available, making ourselves available uh, to other people. And in that respect, I think this uh, Avon Foundation study, the No More Survey, um, really uncovered a lot of silence and inaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. domestic violence and sexual assault. If uh, people would like to access uh, a synopsis of the survey, they can go to avonfoundation.org, and there are links there for the survey. Um, you can go to the press room there, the press resources, and you can find a couple of synopses of that uh, article. And the campaign that they're starting is called the No More Campaign, and um, they are going to try and uh, work with Organizations, uh, many organizations, as you mentioned, Meryl, to uh, get the word out and uh, help bystanders break through bystander behavior training programs. You know, we, Meryl, I always uh, end our show with a quote, and there are so many, um, wow, there are just so many quotes that I could have used uh, for this to end this show, but I think the one that I like most is Isabel Allende. What I fear most is power with impunity. I fear abuse of power and the power to abuse. And I think that that, for me, kind of sums up our conversation today. 
Mm-hmm. Meryl, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I, I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners did too. And if you would like to uh, check the archive of the show, go to blogtalkradio.com slash three women, three ways. Thank you for joining us. Next week we'll be talking about a case in Montana with a judge. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.